I received a phone call from Wayne Sneed. Wayne is a district superintendent in the Virginia Annual Conference. He's the district superintendent for the Elizabeth River District down near Chesapeake and Virginia Beach. Got a call from Wayne during dinner informing me that I would be tentatively appointed to Mount Olivet that coming summer. June 16th, 2017, Bishop Sharma Lewis approved me and licensed me to be a local pastor in the United Methodist Church. On June 18th, 2017, Father's Day of that year, I found out that I was indeed coming to Mount Olivet after Bishop Lewis fixed the appointments for the coming year. Eight days later, on the 26th of June, we moved into the parsonage across the street, and on July 2nd, 2017, I became one of your pastors. It seems like forever ago. And I know what you're all thinking. He's aged really well. And you're right, I have. There is something special about a church community. Yeah, we have community boards and neighborhood organizing groups. And actually, many of those groups meet in this building throughout the month. But the church, the church is something different, something entirely different. We depend upon one another. I depend upon you all. If I want to be an effective pastor, you all need one another that you can live into the calling that God has placed on each of you. And you need this community to help you live in to that calling. Without one another, we cannot be a church. Without one another, Mount Olivet would cease to be what it is. Community, a community of disciples of Jesus Christ, seeking to be an inclusive, life-changing community, compelled by the power of the Holy Spirit to offer Christ's love to the world. A life-changing community, compelled by the power of the Holy Spirit to offer Christ's love to the world. If that doesn't get you excited to show up on a Sunday morning, or on a Wednesday evening, or on a Saturday afternoon, I don't know what will. Would you consider a neighborhood board or a community organization to be life-changing? I mean, I've only attended one neighborhood association meeting, and I found it to be less than life-giving. And quite frankly, I found it to be the most boring meeting I've ever been to. And remember, I go to a lot of church meetings also. But this church, Mount Olivet, all of us here, regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of how we identify politically, regardless of our faith history, regardless if we went to Duke, Wesley Theological Seminary, or some of you UNC, we have committed to doing this together because we've been compelled by the Holy Spirit to offer Christ's love to the world. Pastor Ed would disagree with me, but I think that is awesome. Brothers and sisters, siblings, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. Those aren't my words. Paul spoke those words to a Christian community in Philippi. 
And on first read, Paul comes off kind of arrogant. Seems like he might have well have said, hey, look at me. Over here, I'm the guy doing everything right. Yeah, I might have persecuted a few people, might have killed a few folks, but now I'm doing it the right way. So look how great I am. But Paul's not being arrogant. A chapter earlier, earlier in chapter 2, and if you don't believe me, you can open your Bibles. They're right in front of you. He instructed the church in Philippi to imitate the work of a man named Timothy. Paul said this, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. All of them are seeking their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy's worth you know. How like a son with a father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Paul also instructed the Philippian church to imitate the work and actions of Ephroditus, saying, because he came so close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for those services that you cannot give me. Not to mention, Paul is also directing the church in Philippi to be in the same mind that was in Christ. And he continued to elaborate on just what that means. Christ did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But instead, Christ emptied himself, taking up the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. After being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul is simply adding his name to an already established list of disciples, those who are living in community, those who are doing their best to follow Christ. So Paul is adding his name to this list of people he is instructing the church in Philippi to strive after. So much of what we do in imitating and allowing the same mind to be in us that was in Christ, it often focuses on the work that we try to do as individuals. As a church, we come up with discipleship plans for everybody from toddlers all the way through adults. For anyone, anywhere along the path of discipleship. What do I need to do to better my relationship with God? What do I need to do to learn how to pray better? What skills, what spiritual skills do I need? Can I find a mentor, someone that I can imitate so that I can be a better follower of Christ? Or worse, we just throw our hands up in the air and give up. So much of what we do and focus on is focusing on ourselves, me and I. The problem is that Paul was not writing to a single person in Philippi. The letter to the Philippians was not written to a guy named Phil. Paul was writing to the entire church in Philippi, the entire Christian community. Once we see Paul's writings as a letter to the entire community, we see that by including Timothy and Ephoritus to this list of faithful examples, being held together by Christ's own perfect example, Paul was instructing this Christian community to imitate Christ's love to the entire community and with the entire community. So yeah, I can look back on my time at Calvary United Methodist Church and 
downtown Frederick, Maryland, and I can think of Mrs. Frank's Sunday school class. I can think of Lori Shipley. I can think back on what they taught me and how to imitate their faithfulness. Or today I can look to people like Fleming and Will and seek to imitate them. But first and foremost, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, the one that I seek to imitate is the one who gave himself up on the cross for me. For people like you. We are a people who are committed to the same thing for ourselves, for for our children, and for the entire community. And now some of you might be thinking, but what about our reading this morning, Pastor Tier? That was written a long time ago. That was to the ancient church. And you're right, it was. Paul was writing specific words to a church, offering them guidance. Our baptismal vows, the ones that we take on as the water flows off of our heads, the ones that we make on behalf of our kids as we baptize them, the ones that they affirm and confirm when they are confirmed here on Pentecost, and the ones that you all make for one, one another when we baptize someone, the vows that you made for my daughter Nora, promising to help one another grow in faith, to live into the calling God has placed on their lives, on Nora's life. Those vows serve as a point of refocus for us as a community. If we want to be a community of individuals focused on ourselves, we will become what the reformer Martin Luther described as curving within. And this inward curving, as this occurs, we run the risk We become so focused on our own needs. We can become focused on our shortcomings and the spiritual skills that we think we need that we are unable to see the need within our own community. We're unable to see the need along Glebe Road or Washington Street. We're unable to recognize the need that is sitting within feet of us on Sunday mornings. When we curb within ourselves, we become what Paul described as enemies of the cross, only worried about our own bottom line, only worried about what's in it for me. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. This church was contending with issues of arrogance and disunity. Arrogance and disunity are the exact opposite of imitating the life, death, Ministry, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Arrogance and disunity were distractions for the ancient church. And Paul's response to their arrogance and disunity was to extend grace by reminding them of what the love of God had accomplished in and through Jesus Christ. Like the early church in Philippi today, the church struggles to be a community that is imitating Christ's love. Like the church in Philippi, we too struggle with particular things at a particular time. So while this letter was written to a specific community at a specific time, experiencing specific disagreements, Paul's words speak life to the church today. Paul's words call out to the church universal, calling us away from our denominational disunity and back into unity in Christ Jesus. 
Paul's words speak to the United Methodist Church today. Instead of trying to legislate away a person's calling, a calling given by God, we are called to look at Christ's ministry and see how Christ called the unlikely to be his closest followers. Jesus passed on to this unlikely group of followers knowledge of the kingdom of God and the ability to heal those who had been deemed outside the reach of God's grace by the religious elite of the day. And throughout Christ's ministry, Jesus continued to go to the margins of the community, extending grace, but he did not extend grace at the sake of holiness. Paul's words speak life to us here at Mount Olivet. We are reminded that in everything we do, everything, we are called to imitate Christ's love to one another, to the community, and to the world. No exceptions. This work, it's not easy. And like the Philippians, we will miss the bar over and over that was set for us by Christ. We will fall short. But in our shortcomings, God's grace, the unmerited love of God is still ours. That never changes. Because in our shortcomings, when we as a community miss the mark, when we as a denomination miss the mark, and we as a universal church miss the mark, God's grace through Jesus Christ is still present, stepping in and taking corrective action where our love fails so. So whether we are engaged in acts of justice and mercy, justice and mercy means we are not just speaking and marching, but we are engaging in meaningful change in the lives of those who experience persecution, exclusion, or violence. Or when we are muddling through doctrinal and theological impasses, Christ not only remains with us, but Christ continues to extend the invitation to Mount Olivet and to each of us. There was no skill that was needed to be learned when this invitation was first extended to each of us or to this community. There's no theological degree and there's no piece of church legislation that can change our calling. Our calling as a community and our calling as individuals. We are imitators of Christ. That is our job. Whatever perceived distance between us and God, it's gone. The truth is that through Christ's own faithfulness, the promises of God... The covenant that was established back with Abram is not out of reach. God dwells in each of us. Christ dwells in each of us. And because Christ dwells in each of us, Christ is present here at Mount Olivet. Christ is present here in Arlington. Christ is present here in in Arlington at our baptismal font this morning. You'll notice there are rings. There's a chain of rings around the base of the baptismal font. Two weeks ago, Rock Springs United Church of Christ delivered those to us. They're prayers. Prayers from their entire community that they wrote during worship because they know that for the United Methodist Church, it's been a rough couple of weeks. That is imitating Christ's love. So like Abram, we have been reassured of God's promise even when we miss the mark, even when we miss the mark, we
we are invited into the waters of baptism, and a seat is saved for all of us at Christ's table. Thanks be to God.